Romans 16, 17 through 27 in the English Standard Version. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and great Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Now, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for so long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. So I don't know if you had some time to read the Daily Walk this week or whether you listened to the podcast or whether you yourself got to read this particular passage in all the different translations that we suggested that you do it every single day. Um, but is this how you would end this epic letter? That was the question that I was thinking about as I thought about this Daily Walk this week and as I thought about this text. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions. Is that the thought that would be the last thing that you'd want to say? Well, eventually he gets down to the most important part as he kind of concludes it all and he says, look, I just want to bless you. And in fact, that's what we're calling the message today as we say, as we come to the conclusion that we are followers of Jesus and we include in this that we are because we are being blessed and he wants to bless us. It was Stanley Fish, Stanley Fish, um, who back in 1972, the very year that I was born, this is great, and so I was very excited about this, that he wrote The Self-Consuming Artifacts. Anybody ever read The Self-Consuming Artifacts? It is a slog, but it is interesting, nevertheless. Self-Consuming Artifacts. He analyzed basically 17th century authors, and that's why you didn't read it. <laughs> You're thinking, oh, okay, now I know why I didn't read that. But here's the thing, this guy, he wrote this book and he, read, he was analyzing all of these uh, writers in the 17th century, the, the great people like John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, or John Milton, who wrote uh, Paradise Lost. And he was trying to understand what voice they spoke in. And in their voice, what was their intent behind their voice and what were they trying to achieve? And he suggested, he presented, that there were two main ways that they wrote and they spoke back in the 17th century. He said they were either rhetorical or they were dialectical. 
They were rhetorical or dialectical. The first one, rhetorical, is that this is the kind of sermon, the kind of sermon basically that makes you just feel really good. I mean, it simply reminds you that you, everything that you believe, it affirms everything that you already believe, nothing really needs to change, everybody sings amen at the end of a sermon, that's one of these sermons. You know, you'll, you'll cry a little bit, you'll laugh a little bit, everything feels kind of okay at the end of this. You don't really hear anything super new, um, it's kind of just a mirror reflection of what you already know. And so by the end of a rhetorical sermon, you're just kind of like, yeah, this is good. I like this. This is okay. I'm good. Everything's fine. The dialectical sermon, though, oh, man, this is a, a disturbing sermon to you. It's, and he used the word disturbing. He said it's provoking. It doesn't always explain the truth, but it leaves you in a place where you kind of question it. As he pulls you along, he wants you to, to wrestle with this. It's humiliating to the speaker, and it's all-consuming. And the result is conversion. The result is transformation. It's supposed to change the way you think. It's supposed to change your mind. So if you were Stanley Fish, and you were looking at the book of Romans, which we've been looking at, right, for months here, would you say it was rhetorical or dialectical? Do you feel like a kumbaya at the end of Romans? Do you feel like, oh my goodness me, it kind of like it changed me a lot, or it was really, really difficult? Some people have said to me, uh, you know, Romans has been really, really horrible. <laughs> it's like, I'm so glad it's over. It's just like, when can we get to a story, you know? I just want a story. I want you just to hold me and caress me through a story, you know, because it's just really, really difficult. It's just so much theology inside it, so many difficult thoughts inside there. Some people, of course, have just loved Romans and just felt like it's a really great book. It's just been unpacking lots of stuff, really significant for us. If I had to pick um, a way, you know, I, I mean, if I was sitting in the congregation, what would I choose is very different to what I actually do when I'm up here preaching, right? But if I had to pick a way when I'm thinking of my sermons, I would think for Stanley Fish, I would say that my sermons have to be more dialectical than rhetorical. I would say, in fact, that when I preach, I would like my sermons to be disturbing. Hmm? You're like, oh no. <laughs> Yes, I actually would, and I feel that I actually wrestle hard, and I hope that they are thought-provoking and they're challenging, and I often feel humiliated in my sermon process, and I feel consumed through the text, and I expect something to happen. I do. I expect something to happen. I expect that no matter what's happened in your week, no matter what's going on in your life, that when you walk into the church, I expect something to happen to you. I expect that God is going to change something in your life and it will be good because God is good. And I expect that to happen because of what's happening inside you, that it's transformative. Let me remind you of a story, an old classic story. Maybe you know this story really well, but if you don't, I'm just going to remind you of the story. It starts in 1 Samuel chapter 19. Um, this is a story, a famous story of where you have a guy called King Saul and he's really upset with a guy called David. David has just defeated Goliath right? And Saul promotes him and says, well, thank you for killing Goliath. I now promote you in my army, and I bring you in as a sergeant or an officer or something. You, you've come inside it. This is really great. And as soon as David comes home to, you know, to where King Saul lives, the women in the town start writing songs about David, right? And they're writing all their songs. They're tweeting about him. They're posting on Instagram about David, and they're saying things like, you know, like 10,000 people for David, and one for Saul, 
you know, 10,000 people he slayed, but Saul couldn't find one, you know. I mean, it's, not, it's, not, it's pretty bad, right? So Saul's really upset about this, and it's on social media everywhere. And in those days, social media was basically in your living room. It was just right there all the time. So Saul gets upset about this. He takes a spear, and he throws it and tries to impale David in the dining hall, misses, and, you know, so I'll let you kind of think about that for a second. And then Saul says, David, I want you to go kill a hundred Philistines. But in fact, I want you to bring a hundred foreskins. So you can imagine, I'll let your imagination go with that one for a while, how complex that would have been for him. Um, and uh, bring me back a hundred foreskins. I mean, it's not enough to go kill these guys. Go do surgery on them. And, and then Saul says, hoping, of course, all the time, that, uh, that David's going to get killed, right? Because that's not going to be something any Philistine's going to want to give up. Saul then says, um, you know, he says, I'm now going to ask my son and a servant to go kill David. And he say, tells that. And Saul tries again with a spear, second time, throws a spear. You would think that Saul would have learned the first time that he missed with a spear, that maybe get a, a lighter instrument, but misses a second time. So finally, the Bible says that Saul goes and hires uh, three Mossad agents. Uh, I say Mossad because he's from Israel. Um, and uh, he hires three Mossad agents. These are the highly secretive, operative agents. He says to them, I have given you a mission. Your mission is to go kill David. If you can capture him, better yet, bring him and kill him in front of me, that'd be better. But if not, kill him on sight, all right? So he gets his three agents and he sends them off to go find them. David gets wind of this because social media in those days was very open and, um, and nothing was too secret. And so he runs off and finds Samuel, Samuel the prophet. Samuel lives uh, in his own hometown, Naboth in Ramah. And uh, he says, Samuel, Samuel, King Saul has lost the plot. And, uh, and so, as a result of this, Samuel says, well, that's all right. David, come and stay with me in my hometown, in Naboth. So he stays there, and the Mossad agents arrive one by one. So the first one, he arrives there, and he's, as he arrives into the territory where Samuel lives, literally, he arrives with, with all the stealth and anger and the ability to go kill or assassinate David. It says that suddenly, he's confronted by the Spirit of God, and he starts to prophesy and sing songs, and write poetry, and paint paintings, right? Oh, I mean, literally, he's put flowers in his hair, and daisies are running around, and birds are singing. It's like a little Disney movie is taking place. It's because he's simply blessed by the Spirit, right? So Saul's like, what? I'll send the second agent. So he sends a second agent. And what, no kidding. It says in the Bible, the second agent happens, goes away, and the next thing you know, Angels are singing, the prophecies are happening, and he's writing and drawing pictures and paintings of valleys and climbing mountains and singing. The hills are alight with the sound of music. I mean, wonderful things are happening, all right? The third agent comes along to go and kill him. I mean, these are the best trained warriors of King Saul. And the Spirit of God impacts this guy, and he starts to prophesy and say, yes, I love Jesus too. And he starts to sing about this, blessed by the Spirit. Well, King Saul can't stand this anymore. So he says, I just, you know, sometimes you just have to do the job yourself. I'm just going to do this myself. So he says there in the Bible in 1 Samuel chapter 19, and the text will be on the screen so you can see this for yourself. It says, and he went there to Naboth in Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went in, he prophesied until he came to Naboth in Ramah. And he too stripped off his clothes... And he too prophesied before Samuel and lay naked all day and all night. 
Thus it said, is Saul also among the prophets? King Saul is so angry, so angry. King Saul arrives with evil intent. The blessing of the Holy Spirit is on his life that it transforms him and it melts him away and it stops him in his tracks and he begins to speak and speak and sing of Jesus. And he strips off his clothes. Now, now here's the thing. Um, I'm not suggesting that when you come to church, that as a result of you being transformed by the Spirit, that this is the natural consequence of what happens here, right? What I'm saying is that, is that something had to happen to him in particular. And, and, and just so you understand this, there is something deeper in the story. There's a little, little side note, a little technic moment for you here. Uh, there's something deep in the story always about nakedness, right? Uh, in the Bible. Remember in the story of Genesis, when it talks about the nakedness? What did the nakedness signify? I was ashamed in my nakedness, right? I was, I was like, oh my goodness, now I've suddenly been found out. So what's happening here in the story is that there's this illusion inside the story, there's an echo back to, well, no, he's actually revealing all of himself. That's what's happening as well inside the story. He's saying, I've actually humiliated myself. I've brought myself to this place where I'm like, suddenly, I actually give of myself. And, and here's the thing that's interesting. Anger, evil, bitterness, revenge, dissatisfaction, jealousy, hatred, anxiety, all these things take so much strength, don't they? You know what it's like when you're angry, when you're like depressed, when you're, when you're like you're, you're driven. How much energy does it take to do that? When you're happy, you revitalize, right? That's why some of us don't get on social media. Because <laughs> social media drains you, right? It's like you start to get angry when you read the news. You're just like, oh my goodness. And then it takes so much energy from you, right? Whereas when you're happy, you're revitalized and you're, just, you're building yourself up all the time. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 16. At the end of this letter, in chapter 16, verse 17, he just says, them, look, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. Avoid them. Don't, just, don't you just get tired of all the bickering people around you sometimes? Don't you just get tired of all the agendas that people have and the secret things that go on? Don't you just get tired of all the passive aggressiveness that goes on? Don't you just get tired of all the negativity that happens sometimes? You, you meet people who are just negative all the time. Don't you just get tired of all those who just want to block them out because they're just crazy all the time? This is what Paul says, look, I've just written this incredible scroll. Phoebe's just read this incredible encounter to you about how powerful God is. And then he says, look, just don't, don't surround yourself with a whole bunch now of people who are just like whiners and whingers, who are just angry all the time, because it's just going to bring you down. Now, some of you, of course, you are the whiners and whingers, <laughs> right? Yeah, I know. And so, <laughs> you know... We're going to pray for you a lot, <laughs> that you get help, a lot of help. You need to be able to find God again in your life so that you can kind of like reset your clock because that was what Saul was. I mean, you look at David. Do you think David got up in the morning and thought, oh my goodness, I'm just like so depressed with my life. <laughs> Saul's the one who's just worried. He's got anxiety and fear about this David. He's anticipating all sorts of stuff. He's so focused on this little guy, David, that he's not even thinking about the kingdom anymore. He's no longer thinking about the mission anymore. He's like so narrowed down into some minor case over here 
that if he had just stayed focused on what God had called him to, he could have continued to be the amazing king that God had called him to. But he just kept on missing that. And even when God confronts him, right, and God confronts him, he's like, okay, I'll prophesy. What happens in the text is that he falls asleep because he needs to actually just recover. That's what happens sometimes. My family, my parents, you know, when we were young, uh, we would have family worship, and, uh, and my dad would, you know, uh, he would read a devotional every day, and uh, we'd sing hymns and songs every, each night as we have worship, and uh, we as kids were, were listening to this, and my dad is one of those people who, when he's reading the Bible or reading a devotional, he'd be reading something, and he'd say, you know, reading the text, and then he'd find something interesting, and suddenly he'd just disappear, right? Like, he'd be like, oh, mm, yeah. Mm, yeah. And suddenly, like, for about five minutes, my dad's in another world, right? And we're all sitting there like, man, you know, there's a TV show coming on in a bit, and I'm not like, is, is worship going to be over soon, right? You know, so, so we're like, we, join us back here leading us in worship, okay? Now, there were times, though, however, where we'd be, be like Friday night, and we'd be having worship and gathering together, studying the Bible, and my, bro- my younger brother and I, we'd actually fall asleep. I mean, because maybe it went for a while. And my dad's response was, ah, the Holy Spirit's on them. <laughs> Look at this. Ah, oh, it's working. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, in some ways, though, in some ways, though, we're like, you know, when we were teenagers, we're like, yeah, we, it wasn't that. And, you know, we were just tired and bored, and that's why we fell asleep. But, but in some ways, though, there was something kind of beautiful. There was something kind of beautiful where we got to actually pause and be still together, and actually switch some stuff off. And we actually got to just be. And it actually, when you did that, you suddenly realized that you were tired. And like Saul, all that energy, he's like, you know what I did? I fell asleep day and night, and I rested in God. There's something about the Spirit of God on you. And we kind of like, we laugh about it, but maybe... Maybe there's something inside here about the blessing that we're missing inside there. So my tolerance level when it comes to negativity, you know, was up here, now it's down here, it's way down here. So I say, I need Jesus more every day. I want to be blessed, and I want to be a blessing. And I think you want to be blessed, and you want to be a blessing as well. So I want to take to Jesus all the time, all my junk, all my struggles, all my hassles, all my worries, all my anxiety, and I say, Jesus just melted away. It happened in Navoth. It happened in the early church, and it can happen here at Boulder Church as well. Now, Romans, Romans is divided up in lots of different ways. Lots of different theologians have divided up in different ways. But when we did this series here in Romans chapters all the way through, we actually divided the last section here, 12 to 16, in these sections here like this. We said, in the church, which is what we believed here, we said, in the church is where we began at this final sections of Romans 12, he said, which we are. When we're followers of Jesus, we live in the church. We are followers of Jesus. Then we said, in the world, which we live in. This is what we talked about. Then we said, in detention, which is where we deal with every single day because we're followers of Jesus, we can live in this tension. In the mission is when we're followers of Jesus, we can follow through. In the community is where Jesus tells us, as we mentioned last week, as Pastor Jesse was preaching us, which we exist for. And in the blessing, which we're talking about today, is the ultimate thing that he kind of just capstones this entire section and says, this is why we exist. You exist to receive this blessing and be a blessing. So imagine, imagine if we were this incredible people that were always receiving blessings and being a blessing. Paul starts us off in Romans chapter 12, right at the beginning of this final section here. In Romans chapter 12, verse 13, he says the word hospitality. 
And hospitality in the, is a Greek word for philozenia. Philozenia is the, way, is the word that's actually to describe hospitality. And if you break philozenia down, it basically means philos, uh, which is friend, and xenos, which means stranger. It basically means you're a friend of a stranger. So hospitality is that you are a friend of a stranger. Right? This is what we should be. As a blessed people, we should be friends of strangers. Followers of Jesus, we are hospitable, which would be an amazing blessing to be able to live in. This is why Solomon said we were not made to be alone. He talks about this in Proverbs. He says, you weren't made to be alone. Some people say, my relationship with Jesus is just Jesus and I. I don't need church. I don't need any affiliation. I don't need community. And Jesus says, no, actually, I want you to belong to each other. You miss out on the strength of the family. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. That's what Solomon says in Proverbs 18.1. Food tastes good, right? It really does. Unless you're a liar. Where's a liar? Unless you're a liar and you like to eat food by yourself. Um, no, no. <laughs> a liar and I, we have this joke about how, and Jess knows this as well, where he eats food and he eats kind of like this. But it's okay. <laughs> it's because we're very communal food. But it's fine. But food is meant to be eaten in community. And so he likes to eat in community, just nobody touches food. So we try to touch food all the time. Food is good. Sabbath is so much better when it's actually celebrated together. Thanksgiving is better when it's celebrated together. And Christmas is better when it's celebrated together. And yet I know that there are people who celebrate Thanksgiving and Christmas by themselves. We've got to find a way to be the living body of Christ and be community to do this. Life is better when we celebrate it together. So why not opt to be that blessing? Why not be the community that follows the Jesus that are blessing everybody all the time? Well, I think there are three reasons why we kind of like push back on being a blessing or being or receiving a blessing. And these are the three reasons. Discrepancies, deals, and discipleship. And uh, I do like the letter D right now, but discrepancies, deals, and discipleship. Discrepancies, basically, between who we think Jesus is and who we think Jesus calls us to be. Because we see the horrible discrepancies all the time. We think and we hear the stuff that Jesus is not good, that the Bible is not reliable, that you don't have to obey Jesus anymore, right? People say these errors, that we experience these discrepancies, and they're all over the place. You watch online, you hear a song, you, you go to a conference, you go to a camp, you, you go to something amazing, you come back to church, or you hear at church, and you're like, I want the same experience. There's a discrepancy between them. It's just not the same. Someone does not say hello to you. They don't greet you in the same way. I was uh, in Australia last week and uh, at this uh, Hillsong conference, and if you know anything about the Hillsong movement or the Hillsong churches, they're famous for their greeters, uh, amongst many other things, their music, obviously. Um, and they had greeters everywhere. I mean, you could literally not go anywhere without a greeter. You'd be in the bathroom, they're standing right behind you. Just, they're all over the place. They're like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> they're everywhere, right? And, uh, and so Rod and I were, were, were sitting down somewhere, and we were getting ready for the next session, and uh, we had talked to one greeter, said, can we save these seats? Because we found some great seats. We'd lined up for a while, and, and so we laid down the scarf, and a greeter came over and said, you, what are you doing? And we said, well, we're just... Laying down the scarf, we're laying Zan's scarf down here over these 500 seats to save them for ourselves. And uh, they said, you can't do that because the next session's starting in 45 minutes and uh, you can't do that. And I said, actually, it's starting in two hours. And uh, they said, no, it's 45 minutes. I said, uh, no, it's in two hours. And the greeter said, uh, I'm Hillsong, it's in 45 minutes. I said, mm, 
no, it's in two hours. And, uh, and so we went back and forth like this a little bit. And Rod and I were like, ah. So then eventually the greeter pulls out the Hillsong app, scrolls through, and you can see it on their face where they suddenly realize it's in two hours. And all they do is they just kind of like, they kind of like move away. And they literally just disappeared. They didn't say sorry. They didn't like, you're right. They just kind of disappeared. It was like a rapture. Now, I do not believe in a rapture. That was just a joke. All right? I'm just... I don't want to get quoted, tweeted, oh, Buzzler believes in a rapture. The rapture's not real. And just, okay. But it was a funny line. I said, that's why I put it in there. All right, so it's just like a rapture that moment. Just she, she disappeared. So, you know, it happens this way, right? And it's, it's here at Boulder as well, our church. Uh, someone told me this summer that they came to church, and, um, and I, I met them, and uh, I actually sat down with them and uh, you know, ate fellowship lunch with them and had a long, good conversation with them. And they said, nobody said hello to me at this church. And so I'm not coming back. And I was like, I spoke to you. I actually ate lunch with you. But I don't count. I understand. <laughs> I know, I know. It's like, I understand. You know, it, it happens though, right? You know, people want expectations. The discrepancies are difficult inside there. And so it's difficult. Number two is that deals. We make all sorts of deals when it comes to blessings from God. Right? And that's why we don't accept the blessings from God. Uh, and you're saying, we don't make deals. Yes, you do. We make deals all the time. Here's a deal that we make all the time. This is a classic deal. Uh, you guys come to church occasionally, um, <laughs> and, uh, and then you pay your, you bring your tithes and your offerings and your service of hours and stuff. And, uh, and in return, in return, right, uh, the pastor's going to, uh, the pastor's Jessica and I, we're going, to, we're going to hold you, carry you, love you. In fact, we're going to be friendly, adaptable, integrity, teamwork, and humility. Uh, which is faith, and we're going to have all of that. Um, and, um, and then we are never really going to challenge you. We're never going to really challenge you, but that's the deal. All right? And you should be happy with that deal. And this happens all the time. It's kind of like a brokering taking place. What's missing is the impact. What's missing is the transformation. What's missing, of course, is this all-consuming stuff, because what you're coming for is just a trade-off, an ROI, a return on investment. Well, I, I, I did this, so I expect this in return, this idea. Number three, the reason why we kind of push back on, on the blessing is discipleship, because the issue really is not moving members to become disciples. It's moving attendance to become members. It's moving you from just sitting in the pew to saying, actually, I belong to this family. Since membership and discipleship is the same thing. Membership and discipleship is the same thing. Because when you are a member, you are part of the family, you are a disciple, you are engaged in this journey here. Paul starts to, to kind of break this all down inside here. He's constantly like pulling this together. And I, I think we've got one slide up here that kind of like does this together. I'm doing this for Mark Johnson because he's constantly teasing me about this because Tim Gillespie uses these two words all the time, orthodoxy and orthopraxy, right? And so I thought I'd throw these two words up, orthodoxy and orthopraxy up there, and, and then I'd break it down into words that I would use because I'd never use that, but I'll see Tim next week and I'll tease him about this a lot. So orthodoxy and orthopraxy is theology, deep theology, deep application, it's belief and behavior. And the book of Romans is broken down this way. The first part of Romans was all about orthodoxy. It was all about this belief, the first 11 chapters. And then this last section that we're in right now is all about the behavior, the result of believing, the result of having faith in God. And Paul says, look, I read the Bible. I understand this. I saw this Jesus. I understand this. Now as a result of becoming a follower of Jesus, man, this is what it looks like 
in the church, in the mission, in the tension, in the community, in the life that we do, you are a blessing. He does this in Ephesians, he does this in Colossians. He says, look, as a result of this, I just need you to know that you simply, Romans, it just blesses us. And he's calling us deep. He's calling us deep to the understanding, an ancient understanding. When Abraham himself understood this with God, where God said, you will be a blessing to everybody. Everybody, you'll be overwhelming. You will bless all the nations. They saw the difference that it made in their lives. And I want to be that, and you want to be that, right? We want to be the kind of people where you walk into the church and you feel like no matter what anger you have, no matter what mission you have, whether it's some kind of secret agent that you're coming in and you're angry about something, you want to deal with somebody or something that you want to address, the Spirit of God is going to speak to you and transform you. And suddenly you're going to start to live a different way. You're going to be transformed. And so you will be a blessing. And then you will start to say, man, my church, my church is attractive. It is aligned. It is acts-focused. It is biblical. It's bonded. It is caring, it is Christ-centered, it is committed, it is compassionate, it is connected, it is consistent, it is creative, it is dedicated, devoted, discerning, disciplined, and driven, it is effective, it is encouraging, it is energized, exciting, it is faithful, it is focused, it is friendly, it is fun, it is fired up, and it is generous. It is godly, it is growing, it is humble, hospitable, inclusive, intentional, inspiring, intimate, joyful, like-minded. And you think the list is not done, it's not done. Loving is magnetic and miraculous, it is motivated, neighborly, obedient, you know I'm going with the alphabet here. It is ordained, it is passionate, it is praising, it is prayerful, proactive, and progressive, and pure. It is radical, it is real, it is relevant, it is respectful, it is sacrificial, it is safe, it is scary, it is selfless, it is sincere, submissive, tenacious, it is teachable, transformed, trustworthy, thankful, unified, unselfish, unspoiled, unwavering, and so on and so on. It is wise. Why? Because we live love. And this is all that Jesus wants of us. That's all it is. When was the last time, when was the last time that you were so blessed that all the anger and all the anxiety and all the stuff that you had, you could just leave it with Jesus? When was the last time that you were such a blessing to someone else, they took all of their anger and they dropped it off on you and you took it off their shoulders? That's what we need to be. Jesus does this for us and we need to do this for other people as well. We're entering the Christmas season right now which is a really rich time of blessing for all. And it's a really a good reminder of the incarnation, a reminder that God has never left us. And as uh, we remind ourselves of this, I want to remind you of this story that took place in the Bible. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry in John chapter 2, it tells us there that Jesus entered the temple. Do you remember this? And as he entered the temple, it says in John chapter 2 that he wound up this whip and he tore up the entire temple and demonstrated and said, look, I'm just going to take all these people out, overturn it all. Because he says, look, it's, I don't like the way you guys are abusing this system inside here and the money exchanges inside here, and it's just, it's not good. It's the end of this kind of thing. But at the end of his ministry, uh, just before the cross, um, it talks about it again, where Jesus goes to the temple one more time. You find it in Matthew uh, chapter 21. It says here that uh, this triumphal entry moment takes place here, and at the end of this triumphal entry moment, he's riding on this donkey, and they're singing hallelujah and hosanna and all sorts of things. The disciples, it says here in verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on the cloaks and sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches on the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him, that followed him, shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna the highest. 
They're blessing him. They're calling on his name because they see him as the king. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and brought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. I know that when we talk of this story, that we often focus on that one element. What's that element? That he's messing with them and telling them, I don't like you messing with this system. I don't like you messing with the financial way that you money exchanges are messing with this. But what if, what if Jesus, when he was sitting on that donkey, riding, starts to remember the first testament? What if as Jesus is riding and they're shouting, blessed is he, he starts to remember Isaiah 1. He starts to remember Hosea. He starts to remember Samuel, where he says, your offerings count for nothing. Your sacrifices meant nothing. What I wanted actually was your heart. And I didn't need all this stuff. And when he hears them shouting, Hosanna, blessed are you, and he gets off the donkey and he comes to the temple, all he's thinking is, I didn't even want this system. I never wanted this system. And so as he removes them, including, it says in Matthew, the pigeon. Because he could have left the pigeon, right? He could have left the cheapest option. He removes it, says, I never actually wanted the sacrificial system. I didn't need this. But I'm going to cleanse this because what I wanted was a temple where you came together and you prayed so I could actually heal you. Maybe that's actually what God was doing when he cleansed the temple. Maybe that's what God was about to step into, saying, I'm going to go and do whatever it is that's necessary to let you know that I love you, right? Because that's actually what's most important, that you understand more than anything, that the blessing is richer, and you should be a blessing, because I am the blessing on you. So I'm challenging you today to be a follower of Jesus. I hope we all are, then claim it. Be the blessing from him, be the blessing on others as well.